let's get into it today. We're wrapping up a series we're calling Famous Last Words, and what we've been talking about for several weeks now is the events that took place on that last day uh, of Christ's life on earth before his death and ultimately his resurrection. But more importantly, we've been talking about those expressions that he made on the cross, those expressions that came out during those days and just getting a better understanding of those expressions. So go with me in, in, into that moment if you can. If you're not familiar with it, follow along with me and I think you can pick it up. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they started driving the spikes into his feet and into his wrists. Once they had nailed him to the cross, they lifted that cross high and set it into a hole that they had dug and dropped it with a thud and there he suspended between heaven and earth gave his life for us over the next six to eight hours, Jesus said seven things. The very first words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the implications of what they're doing. Forgive them for what they're doing. In other words, Jesus took care of the very people who killed him first. Then he said to his neighbor on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, the very next thing he did was to take care of his neighbor. Then he looked at John, the beloved disciple, and said, John, I want you to look at my mama now because from now on I want you to treat her like your mama. In other words, he took care of mama. Good son, right? Good son. At noon, the earth went dark. Everything went blank in the middle of the day. And from noon to 3 o'clock for the next three hours, Jesus suffered in silence while every sin of every man and every woman who had ever lived or ever will live were heaped upon his shoulders. That's, that's your sins. That's my sins. They were piled on his shoulders that day to the point that a holy God had no choice but to turn his back for a brief moment because he couldn't look upon that sin. But at 3 o'clock... Jesus uttered the next phrase. We talked about it last week. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling utterly alone in that moment, you see not only the, the physical anguish that he went through to get to this point, but now you see the emotional, spiritual uh, pain that he experienced, the relational uh, aloneness that he experienced. Again, we talked about that last week. If you missed it, be sure to get that message. John chapter 19 now records his final two expressions. They were uttered somewhere between 3 and 5 p.m. that afternoon. We don't know exactly, but somewhere in that 3 to 5 p.m. time, he, he said two more things. One of them is in verses chapter 20, uh, verses 8, 28 and 9 of John chapter 19. It's going to be on the screens. You can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along. All the scriptures are there. Just find notes and, and open it up. You can save it to your journal and take your own notes if you want to. If you want this manuscript, I'll be glad to send it to you. Just email me this week at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll be glad to send you, the, send you the very notes that I'm using for your own personal study in the days ahead. But John chapter 19, verses 28 and 9, read it with me. Okay, one, two, three, go. After this, Jesus knew that everything had been done. So that the scriptures would come true, he said, I am thirsty. There was a jar full of vinegar there, so the soldiers soaked a sponge in it, put the sun sponge on a branch of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' mouth. Now, I want to make sure you got the scene because it's critical that you understand there's been, it's been a very, very long, incredibly difficult day, 
And there's still a lot of hubbub. There's still a lot of stuff going on. Soldiers are still there. The crowd's still standing around mocking him. They didn't have a clue what's been going on. They had no idea that Jesus was in these moments fulfilling prophecies that had been made a 1,000 years before, 800, 700, 600 years before. More importantly, what's going on in this moment, as you can only imagine, his throat is parched. After all he's gone through, and having not spoken other than, my God, why have you forsaken me? For, for at least three hours, maybe four, he'd not spoken. And if you've ever been in one of those settings where you didn't speak and it was finally time to speak and your voice was kind of cracked and, and didn't come out just right, and so you took a sip of water before you did that, you know what I'm talking about? Well, so he says, you know, I'm thirsty. And they gave him some vinegar to drink, and as soon as he drank it, he uttered these words. Now, hear me. I think he was thirsty. I think he wanted something to drink. But more importantly, lean into this. I want you to get this. More importantly, Jesus knew that what he was about to say needed to be said with authority. What he was about to say were some of the most important words, perhaps the most important words in all of human history. Look at it, verse 30, John 19, 30. When Jesus tasted the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and then he bowed his head and died. Now, John, in his gospel, tells us what he said. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us how he said it. And they said, he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. Hear me, it is finished was no mousy, wimpy, I'm done. It was a battle cry. It was a victory chant. It was a statement to resonate across the centuries, kind of like General Prescott at Bunker Hill so long ago when he said, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes or, or Martin Luther King Jr. saying, I have a dream. Those are statements that resonate across generations and this, the most important of all statements, Jesus wants to say it with clarity. He said, it is finished. Not I'm finished. No, I'm not finished. It is finished. One writer said it this way. It is not the whimper of a victim. It is the shout of a victor. He cried out with a voice of triumph. As it thundered from his lips, it reverberated through the corridors of heaven and hell alike, causing demons to tremble and angels to rejoice. It is finished. It is done. Come on, give it up, people. I'm kind of glad we're only doing one service today because this may take a while. <laughs> I just, you know, this whole weekend, just gearing up to hear some of my old school Pentecostal stuff kind of stirring up in me. Hear me, guys. He declared it. The question, of course, is what is it? It is finished. What exactly is he talking about? We kind of got a sense of maybe we know what that is. What, is, what does that mean? It is finished. And the easiest way to answer that question is to, uh, is to actually understand that what Jesus said, because Jesus didn't speak English. I don't know if you know that. He wasn't an American. Uh, uh, wasn't white skin, blue eyed, blonde hair. That's not, you know, that's not who he was. Uh, it's not the human form he took on. He spoke Greek. And, and in the Greek, it is finished is actually only one word. It's the word tetelestai. 
And tetelestai uh, it was a commonly used word, not, not kind of general use word, but it was a word well known by the culture, by the society, by the people of that day, and they knew that it actually had three different definitions. And so it was used in three very distinct contexts. And so when he said to Telestai, they knew immediately, those who were listening knew immediately what he was talking about. So in the few minutes I have with you, I promise not to keep you too awfully long. It's, it's only 10.39. We'll, we'll beat the Baptist to the buffet. Don't worry, okay? Uh, I want to unpack those three definitions for you. I want to make sure on this Palm Sunday as we celebrate the reality that Jesus is Messiah and prepare our hearts for Easter that's coming. I want to make sure you understand those three uh, definitions of tetelestai. And then before we leave here today, I want us all to declare together in a very personal way, tetelestai, it is finished. Not just 2,000 or so years ago when Jesus uttered it, but today when we join our voice to his. I want to make sure we're walking in the victory that he won that day. Do I need to say that again? I want to be sure that we're walking in the victory that he won for us that day. So let's get into it. Three definitions. Tetelestai was a word that was used by the priests of the day whose job it was to declare that a sacrifice was worthy. So sacrifice was worthy. It was appropriate. It fit the parameters for what an animal sacrifice, which they did in Old Testament times, uh, that it was worthy. And this one dates all the way back to the days of, of the Israelites when they were in Egypt as slaves. And, uh, and Charlton Heston came to Yule Brenner and said, let my people go. You, you, you haven't read the book, but you watch the movie, right? You remember that part? And, uh, and Yule Brenner said, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and so God sent 10 plagues on the nation to change Pharaoh's mind. And he would waffle for a while and come back and waffle for a while and come back. But finally, the 10th plague did it in. The 10th plague was, okay, we're going to send the death angel and we're going to take the firstborn son of every family, uh, but you'll be safe if you'll put the blood of an appropriate sacrifice on the doorpost of your house. Anyone who believes in Jehovah God and will put this blood on the doorpost of their house, their family will be saved. And so that's what they set out to do. The Israelites who believed, some Egyptians believed and, and ultimately went with them, but, uh, but th that's what they set out to do. But first, they had to bring the lamb that they were going to sacrifice to the priest to make sure it was worthy. God didn't want no wimpy little sacrifice. He didn't want no sickly little lamb who's about to die anyway. He wanted a perfect lamb. He wanted a spotless lamb. He wanted something worthy of the sacrifice that was to be made. He wanted their best. And there's a whole sermon I could just go off a tangent on that one, but I'll save it for another day. When they brought a perfect lamb, the priest would declare to Telestai. This lamb is worthy. It fits the criteria for the sacrifice. And then they would go and sacrifice the lamb. And somewhere between 3 and 5 p.m. that day, they took some of the blood and they painted the doorpost around their house. The result was that those who didn't suffered great pain and tragedy and Pharaoh ultimately let the Israelites go. And you know the story of the Red Sea and the cross. The Red Sea. Jewish historian Josephus says that that tradition actually continued in Israel right up until the time of Christ. And so every year as a part of memorial to the time that the uh, Israelites were released from 
uh, from uh, Egypt, uh, they would do this ritual, and this would be part <coughs> of their annual kind of celebrations of that deliverance. So when Jesus declared to Telestai from the cross, you understand what Jesus was saying? He was saying to the devil, let my people go. He was saying to Satan, let all my people, generations past, generations to come, let my people go. Because he had become the once and for all perfect lamb. To Telestai, only Jesus was worthy to carry the sins of all the generations of all mankind. J. Oswald Sanders, the great missionary and writer, said the moment of Satan's greatest triumph was also the moment of his ultimate defeat about that moment. Paul writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 2, verse 15, God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority with the cross. He won the victory and showed that the world that they were powerless. Death now has no hold on us. Come on. And this is not weird, ookie-dookie, spooky stuff. I'm not saying that we're not going to die. And I'm not going to say death isn't painful. And I'm not going to say we don't dread death. Those are parts of the human equation. But we no longer grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know what's next. So the fear of death has lost its grip on us. We're no longer defined by a fear of death. But, but he didn't just overcome the fear of death, what else did he overcome? He broke the power of the one who used fear as his favorite weapon. Do I need to say that again? He broke the power of the one who uses fear as his favorite weapon. You know what's broken my heart? And I, I say that very intentionally. You know what's broken my heart over the last 15 months, 12 months, whatever it's been, 13 months? Obviously, we're all broken by the sickness that our world has endured, our nation has endured. Some of you have lost precious people uh, because of COVID-19, and COVID has, has, has just wreaked havoc on an awful lot of people, a lot of, lot of lives, and a lot of families, and obviously, that breaks all of our hearts, but I got to be honest with you that, that the thing that breaks my heart even more than the sickness that comes is the fear that has pervaded our society. I believe in due diligence, of course. And as a church, we've been diligent. We wear our masks appropriately and, and we keep hand sanitizers around and we wash our hands and we socially distance as long as we can let ourselves. And sometimes that can be hard, but we challenge ourselves to be diligent about this stuff. Some of you are still watching online for because you've got underlying issues or you have elderly family that has, we get that. I completely understand. Nobody's saying that we shouldn't be duly diligent in all of this, but the fear that pervades so many people and it seems to me like so many young adults tells me that they don't understand that Jesus broke the power of Satan over the fear of death when he declared to tell us die. We don't have to live in fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since these children are people with physical bodies, Jesus himself became like them. He did this so that by dying, he could destroy the one who has the power of death, i.e. the devil. Hear me. If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, Satan has no power over you. But you have to declare to tell us die too. You have to say, it's finished, 
in me. When that fear comes, and it will, I will take those thoughts captive. I will not walk in fear. The church at Galatia came to Christ in grace and then forgot. They drifted right back into the old stuff. And, and Paul actually wrote to them in chapter 5. He said, we have freedom now because Christ made us free. So stand strong. Do not change and go back into the slavery of the law. Pastor Jim paraphrased, come on, guys. You don't have to live in, in fear of, of the devil or of death because Jesus said to tell us stuff. Don't go back into that junk. The one who said in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. He's won the victory. He said it is finished. To Telestai, it's done. Hear me, when Jesus declared to Telestai on that day, you could almost hear the sounds of chains breaking. You could almost see the sights of the lame walking. You could almost hear the sounds of addictions being broken. You could almost hear the sound of life coming back where there was no life before to Telestai. It is finished. He's worthy to be the sacrifice once and for all for our sin. He's worthy to open the seals of the book where our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's the author and finisher of our faith. No wonder there was at least one Roman centurion on scene that day who in that moment said, surely this must be the son. We could go home with that. But that's only one of the three. There's good stuff to come. Ready for another one? The second one is, to Telestai also refers to an accountant who closed the books. An accountant who closed the book. To Telestai, in many circles, is an accounting term. That means the debt is paid. There are no outstanding payments to be made. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but, but it is an amazing feeling when you buy a house, you take a mortgage, you make the payments, and you get down to the end by whatever means, and you make the last payment, and then you get a letter from the mortgage company that says, your mortgage is paid off, you have no more payments to make. There is a, I, I don't know if you've ever done that, but there's a euphoria that comes from that that I don't even know how to explain. I got one one time when we refinanced the house with a different organization and it still was, I still got a mortgage with the other company, but it was still, yay, no more payments to that one. You know. uh, on the other hand, if you buy a house and mortgage it for 30 years and make payments on time faithfully for 29 years and then decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, this is too hard, I don't want to spend that money on something else and you stop making payments, what's going to happen? They're going to send you multiple notices, and then they're finally going to send you a final notice, and then they're going to send you an eviction notice, and they're going to put you out of your house. Even though you made payments for 29 years. Is this making sense? But hear me. We're not talking about where you live now. We're talking about where you're going to live forever. 
Whether you've thought about it or not, the reality is God has a list. There, there is a list in heaven, and that list includes everything you've ever done that you should not have done. Gulp. Everything you should have done that you didn't do, there's a list, and that list is, for some of us, really, really long. Multiple volumes of long <laughs> for some of us. For others of us, it's a shorter list, but page by page you see the word pride stamped there, which is just as bad as the one with the multiple volumes. At the end of the day, we all have a list. If you think of it like an accounting ledger, every sin goes into the expenses column and everything you do good goes into the credit column. It represents a, a deposit. What I need you to hear me say is there is no number of deposits that we can make that will ever offset the number of expenses that we've incurred. In other words, there's a whole lot more red ink in your ledger, ledger than there is black ink. Even if you decide, even if you decide, even if you decide to be perfect from now on, can't be done, right? You still won't be able to offset the debt that's been accumulated. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Let me illustrate it this way. Think of, think of, uh, think of baseball as an example. Think of, of the best baseball player that ever lived. By stats, it's pretty undisputable. You can argue your favorites or whatever, but Ty Cobb is reputed to be the best baseball player that ever lived in, in terms of batting average at least. But he also could play every position on the field, whatever. But, but Ty Cobb averaged uh, 366 over a 24-year career. Phenomenal. Best batting average in the history of modern baseball. That means he got on base 36.6% of the time. Wow. But it also means that he got out 63.4% of the time, the best that ever was, right? So let's say in terms of the, of the game of heavenly baseball that you are a Hall of Famer big time. You're getting it right a lot. You're getting it right more than most people you know, more than anybody you know. You actually beat Ty Cobb's record and you're batting 400, 40% of the time you're getting it right. For 24 years, you get it right. And then one day, something miraculous happens, and it clicks for you how, how this baseball thing works. And from that point forward, every time you step up to the plate, you get a hit. Every time. You bat a 1,000 from that point until the end of your career. You with me? If you played 10 more years, I sat down and got my little trusty, dusty computer out this week and just ran some numbers out of curiosity. If you played 10 more years batting 1,000 and you batted 400 the first 24 years, you know what your batting average would be after a 34-year career? It would be 576, a little better than half. You've still gotten out 43.3% of the time. If you played 20 more years batting uh, 1,000, your batting average is now 672 over a 44-year career. You still messed up 32.8% of the time. If you played 100 more years batting 1,000, your batting average is now 883 over a 124-year career. If you, batted a, if you played 1,000 more years batting 1,000, your batting average is still only 
977 over a 1,024-year career. You understand what I'm saying? Once you've messed up, you can never get it perfect because you messed up already. There's no amount of perfection that will prepare you for that day, but it doesn't have to. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus said, it is finished. Your salvation's been paid for. Your debt has been paid. All you have to do is appropriate what I've done for you. All you have to do is put your faith in what I've done for you. It is finished. Here's how Paul described it to the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave, what's the word? All our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus declared to Telestai, he was saying, I am the priest who declares whether the sacrifice is worthy and I am the lamb slain before the foundations of the world who carries the sin of all mankind. He was also saying, I am the accountant who stamps the ledger paid in full in bright red blood. But there's another powerful meaning. And that is powerful. Telestai refers to a worker who completes his assignment. Yes, it has to do with declaring the sacrifice is worthy. Yes, it has to do with your debt is paid. But it also has to do with going forward that you complete the task that you've given. The picture of Tetelestai then is a worker who's been given a job by his boss and he goes away and he does the job and he comes back and he tells his boss, Tetelestai. In other words, yeah, you, I got the assignment, I understood the assignment, I went and completed the assignment, I want you to know the task is done, boss. He says, Tetelestai. Now you study the life of Jesus while he was on earth and what do you see? Read the Gospels sometimes, thinking about the life of Jesus Christ. At age 12, you got Jesus breaking away from his physical mama and stepdaddy, Joseph, goes back to the temple and he's teaching the scribes and Pharisees, the lawyers of the day, he's teaching them in the church. Now, uh, mom and stepdad had gone away a, a day's journey away before they realize he's not in the crowd and it takes two days to get back to him. So mama's kind of upset when she finally finds Jesus. Her 12-year-old has been missing now three days. You can only imagine the anguish of her spirit and she finally sees him and she says, what in the world, son? What in the world? You you're trying to kill your mama at a young age? What in the world is going on here? And Jesus' response to her was, Mom, you know who I am. You know why I'm here. You know I came to do what my heavenly Father gave me to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, son. At age 30, you see him traveling, you see him teaching, you see uh, thousands of people gathering around him, throngs of people coming to hear him teach. And in the midst of that, he said, my meat is to do the will of the one who sent me. I, I'm not here getting something fabulous out of these crowds and out of the accolades and all the stuff that I'm getting. I just simply came to please the Father and to accomplish what the Father gave me to do. Now he's on the cross He's about 33 years old, and he says, 
to Telestai. It's done. It's like bookends on his life. Age 12, I came to do my father's bidding. 33, it is done. John 17, 4, I brought you glory on earth. How? By finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, here's the good news, and I'll bring this to a close. Because he finished his task, you can finish yours. He put every one of us on this planet on purpose, with a purpose, regardless of the circumstances of your birth, regardless of whether you fit the high crescendo of, of, of IQs and EQs and all the testing parameters or not, whether you fit the description of what society says is normal or not. None of that stuff ultimately matters. At the end of the day, he made you on purpose with a purpose and you can fulfill your purpose on this planet because Jesus said to Telestai. Because Jesus said it is finished and part of that is about helping you, empowering you to fulfill what God put you on the planet to do. It blows me away when I deal with people who have, they've appropriated the sacrifice and they even celebrate the sacrifice. They say, wow, isn't it wonderful that Jesus paid the price for my sin and I'm so sorry that my sin nailed him to the cross, but I'm so glad he was willing to do that for me. They even appropriate the, the, the debt is paid. They, they stop trying to work their way to heaven and, and try to be good enough to be pleasing to God and they've let go of the guilt of, of man, I messed up again. Oh, I'm going to hell. What's the use of trying? Because I ain't going to get it right. They've let go of that junk. They declared to die in their lives. But then when it comes time, to discovering his purpose for their life, his will for their life. What he put them on the planet to do, the area of service he called them to serve in. They go, oh, no, me? No, little old me? Oh, I could never do that. That's, that's the kind of thing that other people do. That's the kind that somebody else does. I could never serve at that level. I could never be that. think about those words and what goes through my mind is I may not look like it but I'm a 19 year old kid from Bladenboro, North Carolina a town so small that they don't even bother to turn the one street light that they have on they put a stop sign up there because they don't have enough traffic to need it but at 19, I said, Jesus, I accept what you did for me on Calvary. I will live according to the grace you've extended to me, and I will do whatever you tell me to do. I won't argue. I won't complain. I won't resist. I won't say, though, it's got to be somebody else. I won't say that's going to be too hard. I won't say that's going to cost too much. I, I, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And here I am almost 50 years later, having been all over the world, a kid from Bladenboro. So who are you? You understand that that's irrelevant. The only relevant detail is are you willing to say to tell us 
Are you willing to say, I embrace what you did for me on Calvary. I accept the payment for my sins that you made that settled the score and I will be who you made me to be. I will accomplish what you give me to accomplish and I will trust, Holy Spirit, that you will make up the difference between what I'm capable of and what you're calling me to do. My answer to you, Lord, is yes. That's it, yes. The only way you get there is if you cry to tell us so. Would you stand with me? We're going to open the altars this morning. I realize some of you may not be ready as it relates to COVID and all those things to be in that kind of proximity. I get it, and I'm not going to try to convince you to do anything outside of your comfort zone, but our altar workers are here today, and we're anxious to pray with anybody who might be struggling in any one of those areas. Pastor Andy's going to come in just a moment, and he's going to give you a chance to make a declaration of faith right where you are, but he's also going to open the altars uh, so that you can come and have somebody pray with you this morning. At the end of the day, please, I beg you, do not leave this room. Do not turn your TV or your computer off without saying with me to tell us so. Let's bow together for a moment. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son would pay the price for our sin and accomplish what he did that day. Now we accept it, we receive it, we're grateful for it, we're thankful for it, and we declare that it's for me. And just as Jesus did so long ago, it's done. I declare it is finished to tell us that. Would you say that with me? You can whisper it. You can say it silently. I don't care. You can scream it if you want to. I don't, I don't care. But please, would you, would you appropriate what's available to you? Well, nobody's looking around. It's just me and you and Jesus for a minute. Eyes are closed. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. This is really a heart thing. Will you simply say to tell us You don't even have to pronounce it right. It don't matter. Use English if you want to. It is finished. I accept your sacrifice for my sin, and I thank you. I acknowledge the debt is paid and I will not try to work my way to salvation. And I will be who you called me to be and do what you called me to do. In Jesus' name. Whisper it with me, would you? To tell us Lord, use us, empower us, make a difference in this world through us. At the end of the day, be glorified in
in who we are, who we're becoming, and what we accomplish in your name. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen.